39 days away from toe meeting leather in Norman. This is the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez. Corbin Polson, along with Tyler Burton, returning from Vegas along with his mustache. Guys, how are we doing? I'm good, Adam. Good to see you guys. Uh, good episode last week. Had a chance to check it out. Listen to it in the airport coming home from Vegas. Um, sadly enough, I did not put uh, any money on OU to win the national championship while I was out there at the sports book. I um, was thinking about it, but then I realized, hey, I've got to spend that money uh, to pay for packaging and shipping to get Corbin's trophy back to Aurora, Colorado. Uh, Corbin, lo and behold, the trophy is en route to Colorado. I've heard this um, before. A weight has been lifted off my shoulders, and I can't tell you how good it feels. So, Corbin, you enjoy that. Uh, I expect a cold beverage to be sipped out of that once it actually arrives. I wish I could have enjoyed it. I don't know, Adam, what, six months ago? That would have been nice. But, you know, uh, what is, what's the good things are there for those who wait? What's that saying? Yeah. I don't know. Something like that. You know what I'm talking something about. Something like but, that. What bets did you put down, Tyler? Uh, I put one on Oklahoma to win the Big 12 championship. I took a flyer on Dylan Gabriel to win the Heisman. Uh, not too much money on that, but I thought that might be something. The worst beat of the of the entire week, actually. I actually had a pretty decent turnout uh, on the gambling table. Didn't donate. Was able to walk away with a few hundred dollars. But I, I wanted to put this in the group chat. I was playing, playing blackjack. Very last hand, right before to go to bed, to get up early to go to the airport the next day. I went queen 10. So sitting there with 20. Dealer turns over a seven. Okay, I'm feeling pretty good. I got this in the bag. The dealer then, then turns over two, a four, and a freaking eight to beat me with 21. So ended up losing Brutal. half my money that I, that I got. But no, it was a good weekend. I'm excited to be back. Excited to f- uh, football is... Seems like, what, five weeks away? Going to Kansas City this weekend, check out a concert. But no, I'm very excited that football is on the horizon. It's about time. My gut says if you would have sent the trophy on time, that dealer wouldn't have hit 21. So just food for thought. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> highly possible. It's highly possible. Adam, what's up with you, man? What are you up to? Man, it's the worst time of the year for me. Like every Saturday, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with my time? Like there's absolutely no sports on. Football is, is close enough to get excited about, but not close enough to, to mm. quench that thirst. So I'm desperately trying to find things to do on my weekends just to kill my time. Uh, Adam's thirsty. Football season. I, I'm thirsty. thirsty. I'm thirsty. <laughs> so uh, speaking of, of bets, there were probably a lot of OU fans and definitely national media people that would have lost a bet about a little over a month ago, I'd say, in regards to the way OU recruiting is going and, and potentially where that class could end up. And here we stand. It's July 26th when we record this and, OU's got another four-star every week. There's another one. And uh, by the time we record next week, we're expecting probably another four-star to uh, mm-hmm. have committed at that point. So Josiah Wagner, uh, the cornerback out of Washington, commits. And at this point, it's almost like, oh, like I kind of knew it was coming and I kind of forgot that it was happening because the four-stars are just so plentiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you're exactly right, Adam. I mean, Josiah Wagner, 5'11", 170-pound, four-star cornerback out of Spanaway, Washington, the first commitment in his position group uh, for new Sooners Corners coach Jay Valai. This is a great gift for Oklahoma. Uh, I tweeted it out yesterday from our account. It almost kind of feels like watching his huddle film. I get major Trey Norwood vibes when watching this kid. A little bit undersized, a little bit skinny, but very athletic, very twitchy, uh, very fast out, out in space. But like you said, Adam, uh, Wagner's Oklahoma's seventh four-star commitment in the month of July. 
as he picked the Sooners over Texas, Cal, and Oregon. And, you know, guys, Brent Venables and the staff back in the spring, they preached patience, saying give it time. Good things are going to come a little bit later in the summer. And he was exactly right. Oklahoma's 2023 class has gone from being, I think, in the high 40s in the rankings all the way up to number nine in rivals. I think it's number seven in the 247 sports composite rankings. Uh, And, guys, I don't think the staff is done uh, for the month. With the commitment day coming up this Thursday for four-star defensive lineman Derek LeBlanc, from everything that's out there, Oklahoma feels very good about their chances for this guy. And then you've also got a couple other you know, prospects coming up uh, in early August, guys like Jacoby Johnson, Makari Vickers. The Sooners are as hot as anybody on the recruiting trail right now, and I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. No, and it better not. Uh, I know we're all celebrating what happens in July, but there's a lot of work to be done still, guys. If you look at the recruiting rankings as a whole, you know, Notre Dame, 18 four-stars and a five-star. Ohio State, 16 four-stars and a five, two five-stars. Texas, 14 four-stars, one five-star. Even Clemson, 15 four-stars. OU sitting right now, at least in the rivals ranking, with eight four-stars, nine three-stars. So a lot of room still needs to be improved, uh, caught up on to uh, you know, catch up with these guys who are recruiting in that top one through five rank, which um, I think we don't need to be there every year. I mentioned that on the pod, um, I think last week, Adam, but I do think this is a, a great opportunity with the momentum we have to uh, to get up there. So uh, lots to be excited about, but still plenty of work to do. Yeah. And we talked about a few weeks ago, like if this is going to be a top five type of class, then the three stars basically need to be done at this point. And several mm-hmm. of those three stars probably need to upgrade into four stars. And going forward, there's not very many three stars that are even in the conversation for OU. Everybody's at the four star level. Uh, Makari Vickers, you mentioned a moment ago, Tyler. That was one last week we were saying was pretty 50 50 between OU and Bama. It looks like that is probably a little bit closer to maybe 60 40 OU at this point. Some people are maybe even a little bit more solid about OU's chances at this point. Um, and that one's about a month out from that commitment. So we got a long way to go there. But uh, but yeah, Ryan Yates, uh, Caden Lee, those are two three stars that OU's kind of in the running for right now. But other than that, mainly uh, mainly blue chippers, which is great um, for, for the class. It's definitely very exciting having the momentum right now. Obviously, like I said, you know, seven four-star commitments just in the last 26 days alone. You know, that's something that honestly, I don't think that that's been a run that we've seen in Oklahoma for quite some time in the recruiting trail. Uh, but you also kind of have to pump the brakes a little bit because, like you said, Corbin, it's July 26. We're close to you know four and a half months from signing day. Um, it's good to have these 17 or 18 commitments part of the class right now, but they still haven't signed. Let's get them to the finish line. Let's get let's put the ink to the paper uh, and lock and lock these things up. And you know, Adam. I think that this is a really good thing. The fact that we do have 17 to 18 commitments in this class, we know that the transfer portal is going to continue to be to be there in the offseason, a chance for teams to kind of plug and play, fulfill some of their needs uh, along the depth chart and all throughout, all throughout the roster. Um, but now this kind of gives you some opportunities going into fall camp, going into the regular season. You can use those, you know, those big game weekends to – uh, you know, bring the five stars in, bring the high four star caliber guys in, spend more time with them in a one on one setting instead of having so many guys come into campus as part of one weekend. Sure, there's going to be a lot of 2024 guys in the class that show up on a weekend in Norman throughout the regular season, but being able to get a guy like DJ Hicks in, Jordan Renaud in, uh, I think that that's going to pay dividends, being able to give them more one on one time with Todd Bates with Brent Venables, and I think that that has an opportunity to pay some huge dividends for Oklahoma down this down the line. 
Stars absolutely matter in recruiting. Everybody knows that. And I think one of the best ways uh, that that's shown is in the blue chip uh, ratio that comes out every summer. I'll put a link to that article in the show notes. So if you want to follow along with that, uh, with this segment, um, there's a really good graphic there that basically just does a rundown of how many, uh, or I guess what percentage of your team is made up of four stars or higher. So um, just give some, some background. In 2020, OU was at 63%. Uh, and then 66% in 2021. This year, they come in at 71%. They are fourth overall among all teams on the blue chip ratio. Alabama sitting up there at 89%. Insane. That basically is just special teams. They're not four stars. Uh, that's that's a whole new level uh, for blue chip ratio. Then you got Ohio State at 80%, Georgia at 77 OU at 71%. And that's basically, it goes down to about 54% on the blue chip ratio. But from that group of teams, that's basically the most rock solid formula ranking style that you can put together that says, hey, these are the teams that come in a national championship this year. And, and OU's fourth on that list. Anybody on here that surprises you guys, um, whether it's surprised they had that high percentage or with that high percentage, how poorly they've you know performed over the past few years? Probably Oregon, honestly. Especially kind of Miami too. Yeah, Miami's good. Uh, Oregon kind of sticks out <clears throat> being out there in the Pac-12 um, with you know USC, UCLA being down over the last decade or so. Oregon having Chip Kelly, then having Mario Cristobal, uh, and you know ultimately Dan Lanning taking things or taking things over in Eugene. You would expect that Oregon would have an opportunity uh, to run the table in the Pac-12 over the next one to two years uh, before, especially before uh, the two teams out in LA join the Big Ten Conference, but. Um, guys, I, I think the thing that kind of sticks out to me on this is, are we surprised that the, I guess, kind of the general outlook from the, I guess, the overall national media on so many question marks and, you know, so such low expectations on what this OU team in 2022 could be when the odds say they've got the fourth best, the, they've got the fourth most talented roster in college football across the board. So do you think that's fair um, that the criticism is there from the national media? I was absolutely kind of surprised by this. Um, and I think it was highlighted by a thread that I saw in Sooner Scoop just maybe an hour or so ago. Mm-hmm. If you're not a Sooner Scoop uh, subscriber, it's worth the money. Go go check it out there. But uh, just one of the posters on there just asked a, a basic poll question was like, hey, what are your expectations for this year? Or what is your expectation of a successful year? And the vast majority of people, was, the answer was just win the Big 12. And I was like, that seems pretty low for OU standards. Like, yeah, there's a lot of transition this year, and the, the national media is not big on OU. It almost feels like OU fans have bought into some of the, hey, it's going to take a while. And I understand that when a new coach comes in, yeah, but this is not the usual change of coach to coach. Usually a coach gets fired, the team's in shambles, the recruits aren't there, but this blue chip ratio says that, hey, you have what should be the fourth most talented roster. Maybe they weren't developed great under Lincoln, but a lot of that changed at this point. You know, you've got your strength coach in there. You've got your culture now. Um, your your blue chip ratio is far higher than previous champions that have won the national championship. For example, Clemson, 52% in 2016. Clemson, 61% in 2018. LSU, 64% in 2019. So OU is well above that. And I don't think it should surprise us if OU wins a championship. Are, has anybody been higher than the 89% from Bama this year? I don't believe so. I think that's the highest. Not to my knowledge. That's, that's Not unbelievable. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and I mean, there's definitely some outliers on this. I mean, you look at 2016 Clemson, you know, half their roster being blue chip recruits. I mean, 
you can kind of hide that when you've got a player like Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, kind of a, a generational talent in college. We won't talk about his career in the NFL and what he's going through right now. Uh, but when you just kind of go down the down the list and look at the national championships, I mean, LSU 2019, they're 7% less than Oklahoma is right now. And I think you could make the argument that that's the greatest college football team of all time. So the, the big word for me it, it doesn't recruiting does matter stars do matter absolutely across the board there's a reason why Alabama Georgia Ohio State Oklahoma are at are you know at the at the end every single year with the chance to win a national championship they get the best players but when they when you get these kids on campus doesn't matter if they are three four five development is the key word development uh, your coaching staff being able to train these guys being able to get them to perform and fulfill their potential that's when you're able to turn these guys from you know uh, hot shots out of out of high school, four and five star recruits development develop those guys into all Americans. Develop those guys into NFL draft picks, and that's what's going to make your roster even better across the board. Um, but Adam, you kind of posed a question here towards the very end uh, of this one, looking at this graphic. Would it be surprising to see OU go all the way, knowing that they have the fourth best blue trip blue chip ratio in terms of the team or teams? What do you guys think? I don't think yeah. it should be. I, me I, I really don't think it should be. I mean, you have the talent there. This statistic shows you that the talent is there to win a national championship. You may, maybe Dylan Gabriel is not Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson, but Clemson was far below that, that mark in the blue chip ratio. So I feel like there is enough pieces there. For me, the question is, is one offseason enough time for the culture to take effect, which by all accounts, by what the players are saying, you know, all across the world from your leaders to – you know, your backups, everybody seems to have bought into the culture. Now, we still need to see it in action, but is that enough time to instill culture? And then is also enough time for strength and conditioning to take effect? Because that was a big piece that this team got punched in the mouth by more physical teams throughout the Lincoln-Riley era. So is one offseason enough or do you need longer than that? It's so much more than about talent, though. Yes, you could say Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, LSU had the most talented rosters. But if we're going by talent alone, then Texas and Texas A&M should be in the playoff every single year, which clearly has not happened. So it's so much more than just talent. I I think transition still plays a role. I think this OU team should win the Big 12 championship. I'd be very surprised if they're in the playoff. Pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I think that a Big 12 championship, that is, I mean, you disagree with that, Adam. Um, I mean, national championship, that should be the standard each and every year. But I think that you kind of have to give a little bit of grace this season when you look at the roster turnover, when you look at a you know a brand-new coaching staff, at least on one side of the football. Uh, but, but, you know, guys, let, let's not forget, this team won 11 games last year. So the cupboard is not bare. Yes, we did lose, you know, a, a few key guys, you know, two quarterbacks, a few skill player guys in the transfer portal. But um, let's not forget, too, Dylan Gabriel – is is a more than sufficient enough talent quarterback to to win the Big Twelve? I mean, just look at just look go back all the way to the year two thousand. Josh Heupel won a national championship. I think we would take Dylan Gabriel, his talent as a quarterback over Josh Heupel. But I think that's where you bring in the other ninety five guys, having that supporting cast, guys that are elevating their game, playing to a higher standard of football compared to what we've seen at, the, at a place like Oklahoma. Yes, we've had Baker, Kyler, Jalen. The quarterback play has been phenomenal at OU over the last five to ten years. But when you look at those teams that we just mentioned above, from twenty sixteen Clemson all the way to twenty twenty one Georgia, you got to have a complete football team to win a national championship. And I think that the talent is definitely there in Norman this year for Oklahoma. Uh, to reach the playoff if everybody stays healthy. Uh, they're able to take care of business at home, uh, pull out a few close games on the road. 
but guys, Gabriel greater than Hyperl. Schmitty being back, that's a massive upgrade compared to Benny Wiley. Venables and Ted Roof, that's a massive upgrade compared to Alex Grinch uh, and the staff that he had in here, Norman. So I think all the pieces are there. It's just a matter of can this team in the last um, eight or nine months since Venables took over, can they gel? Can they build this thing up to where it's a smooth transition? And you, you can hit the ground running once you kick off in 30-some days against UTEP. I do think that, like, we look at the Lincoln-Riley era, and one thing that he did well was he upgraded the talent. Like, he left the program with at a 71% blue-chip ratio. He didn't start that way. So in my mind, and you, you mentioned Texas and Texas A&M, like, yes, they have the talent, but they're not in the playoffs. They're not winning, uh, you know, conference championships even. Well, that's kind of the difference between OU, is OU didn't necessarily have the talent that those programs did, but they had the culture, they had the infrastructure, they had the program. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's like, okay, OU does have you know the talent to match that, and the culture has way improved uh, with mm-hmm. Brent Venables coming in. It's just a matter of, like, is it all just things that there are they robots you know repeating their coach and when they get on the road at nebraska and they're down by 10 points in the second quarter does it fall apart or is it instilled and like etched into their soul so to speak and it doesn't matter if you're down you know just like that 2000 team when they went on the road to texas a&m and they were down late in the fourth quarter like they found a way to to work through it because it it was a team it wasn't individuals collectively there together adam i do or go ahead Yeah, something I think is interesting, guys, two of the last three national champions transfer quarterbacks. And so it is more than just who you recruit. Recruiting is now expanded from the high school level now into the the transfer portal, obviously. So that's something that, uh, you know, obviously we think OU, you know, am I going to take Dylan Gabriel over Caleb Williams? Probably not. But we still think OU came out in a good spot with with Gabriel quarterback. So I think that's another thing to take in consideration here. Just look at the history is it is possible and not only possible, but more likely than not the past three seasons, transfer quarterback and winning a championship here. So something else to kind of just be optimistic about. Stetson Bennett won a national championship last year. I think I would That's an exception, that. though, man. That's one of the greatest defenses of all time. And that, that's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. You, if, if you've got the talent around the quarterback, and especially on the defense playing at a high level, you don't have to have all-world quarterback play like we've seen from Kyler or Bryce Young or Baker, Deshaun, all those guys. Um, Adam, I do kind of want to press you on this and get your thoughts on it. You mentioned that a successful year at Oklahoma this season uh, can only be defined by winning a Big 12 championship and more. Is that that's the bar that you're setting setting it at? Is there is a nine and three season not winning the Big Twelve championship in Venable's first year? Is that considered a a bad season for Oklahoma? For me, absolutely. My standard is you're not rolling the ball the the ball out onto the field unless you expect to win the national championship. Sure, like, sure. This is Oklahoma. Well, so I have a really high standard for that, and I that's what, why I view the past. 20 plus seasons as failures because we did not win the national championship. Yes. You come into some years knowing, Hey, we got a new quarterback. We've got we're reloading, whatever. And it might not be realistic, but my standard is the same. And you know, that's how Bama operates. That's how Ohio state operates. Oklahoma should be no different. Now, the fact that we haven't won a national championship, I think, you know, in the last 20 years, I think has taken some OU fans down a step to where like, I guess for me, I don't want to lower my standards just because we haven't done it recently. I don't want to lower my standards yeah. and then and then it becomes, oh, well, I hope we just you know win 10 games. 
And then, oh, now I just hope we become bowl eligible, so to speak. Like that's a slippery slope in my mind. And I know that like as a fan, my standards and expectations don't really have a huge impact yeah. on the program, but that's where I stand. Like we're here for excellence. Best is the standard. And I agree with you on that. I mean, the standard is always going to be national championship at a place like Oklahoma with the tradition that we have. Um, but I think that for me this year, just kind of looking at it on a smaller scale, there's going to be some some minor things. I mean, I guess almost kind of games within the you know the regular season. Um, you know, I, I want to see a, a lot of change. You know, we've talked about the culture. Uh, the Venables and why and uh, Schmitty are instilling, you know, up and down this roster and within this program. But I think that regardless of wins and losses, that's going to take care of itself. But I, I want to see some changes within the discipline of this team, not having, you know, 10, 15 penalties, not having the same defensive lineman jump offside four, four times in a game, um, seeing good hard nosed football. And I think that toughness is the biggest thing. If we all remember from those teams back in the early 2000s when Venables was kind of in his heyday here at Oklahoma, back during the Kalmuses, the Laymans, the the Gerald McCoys, that era, you saw a toughness of Oklahoma. You knew once you got off the bus uh, in Norman or, you know, if you knew that you were going to be lined up against Oklahoma and Venables and Stoops were the coaches uh, for Oklahoma, you knew that, that that you were gonna. It was gonna be a tough four quarters of football. You were gonna get your ass kicked every single play. Oklahoma may not win the game, but you know, chances are you were you were gonna get kind of bruised and bloody by playing a team like Oklahoma. So I kind of want to see some small things change within the program over the course of the regular season and what ultimately leads to a Big Twelve championship. I see where you're coming from, Adam. I do, and I think what I want for this program is exactly your expectations. But at some point, like. The reality, like, we're not Alabama. We're not. And it's not even just a, like, watching them play against other teams or such other teams. Like, we've had games against Alabama. Mm -hmm. And, yes, Kyler and company made it close late, but that game was never in question. And we've had games against Georgia, and we've lost. So we had a game against LSU. We got blown out of the building. So it's hard for me to have the expectation of a national championship especially after what we've gone through this offseason, when we've had opportunities to do it and we've either come up short or it hasn't even been really that close. So let I, me maybe clarify a little bit because I think we're, we're using a few different terms. My standard is is here. My expectation of what I think reality is is not at the same level. So I agree with you in that sense. And we're going to go through our, our predictions for the season probably in a couple of weeks here. And don't be surprised if I throw out like a 10 and two or something like that. But what I believe is possible, if you maximize your roster and maximize, you know, the skills that you have available to you, it should be, we should be able to have a standard that is the same as at least Ohio state. Mm -hmm. Alabama's, you know, they're flying away with, with the type of talent they have there in the machine that's running. But we should be able to say, hey, it is possible and not completely unreasonable to expect a national championship. Or I use that word again. But to to, <laughs> to hope to see that, not necessarily like, oh, we're basically just we're settling for 10 and 2 and winning a Big 12 championship is, is okay, so to speak. I, so. I think it would be very interesting to dive further into the numbers of these top five or six teams in terms of what the blue chip ratio is and you know the position groups within the team that make up for it. Um, I think the one thing that has been very, fairly obvious over the last five to ten years, you know, you look at Oklahoma that has a blue chip ratio of 70%. I think it's probably safe to say that OU has kind of stayed around that 65 to 70% number over the past few years. But I think a large part of that 
we make up for that 71%, four stars and five stars. A large part of it is the skill talent. It's the quarterbacks. It's the receivers. It's the running backs. Whereas you look at programs like Alabama and you look at Georgia, most of the five stars, most of the high four stars on the on that roster, you're seeing them on the offenses and defensive lines. And that's where once we get into the playoff, we come up against these SEC teams and maybe even Ohio State or a Clemson when Dabo had it rolling just a couple of years ago. Uh, OU's got to get better. Uh, in the trenches on both sides of the ball. you got to start landing those four-star and five-star defense and offensive linemen uh, because OU has the skill talent, top to bottom. That's a, that's a fact. It's just a matter of can we beef things up on the on the interior. That's how that's what it's going to take to win a national championship. So, I, know, I know guys were four in this blue trip ratio, but even just going up to like an Ohio State, let's not even touch Bama yet, that's a 19% different. That is 15 <laughs> players difference that are four and five stars that OU. that's over a side of the football difference in four and five star players so it's hard for me to get that the standard each and every year is to win a national championship when there is clearly a significant um gap not necessarily between us well i guess between us and and people who are behind us but also between us and the upper echelon of college football so some optimism think, on that real quick give it to me adam Optimism. Clemson <laughs> won national championships at 52 and 64, or sorry, 61%. Who was there for both of those and knows what it takes? Who? But I'm curious what the, the percent difference was against the teams that were ahead of them. That's, that's fair. I believe Bama has been in the 80s for a little while. Um, I know in 2012 they were at 71%, which is where OU is right did now. Clemson, just to show you the difference, but yeah. Did Clemson beat Bama both national championships? Yes. I know if it's yeah. for sure one. Bama beat yeah. them one and Clemson times, beat them yeah. twice. Okay. So, I mean, if if it really you only need like 60% blue chip ratio and you need strong development and culture, well, who just brought that to OU? Brent Venables. May not happen year one, but I think that's pretty exciting. And the other little uh, X factor there, that turnip seed, bringing some of those resources and and hopefully uh, some different things that'll they'll come into play. Let's dive a little bit deeper, though, specifically on this year. Tyler, I thought you found a great article outlining mm-hmm. the specific areas that OU needs to, I guess, questions that OU needs to answer. And if they can answer those, possibly they can win a national championship. Yeah, uh, Bill Connolly um, put out a really good article that was on ESPN+. Plus. Um, came out yesterday, I believe. It was kind of the what-ifs of college football um, when talking about how 20 college football teams, what what has to happen uh, for them to become legit national title contenders. And the three that Bill had for Oklahoma, uh, at least one young stud emerges in the secondary. The Dylan Gabriel-Jeff Levy marriage is still dynamite, like it was at UCF. Uh, and a revamped receiving core is as good as it looks. Guys, are we all in agreement with you? Are those the three most important things? Um, I know for me personally, I uh, probably my top two or three are not on this list that Bill included. So, Corbin, Adam, what do you guys have for this? I've got three. Okay, and they're they're probably in the same, all in agreement. Yeah, they're in the same wheelhouse. I think if if OU is going to be a playoff contender, Dylan Gabriel has to be a Heisman contender. I think that's that's number one. Um, outside, as as we discussed a little bit earlier, outside of Georgia last year, who had one of the best defenses in college football history you have to have an elite quarterback in order to win a national championship that's been proven uh for me defense has to be ranked in the top 25 i think that's a a high goal but a reasonable goal considering who is at the helm of this program now and my last one kind of on the same lines is uh what Connolly said but a 
a solidified number two steps up in the wide receiver room. Um, and so obviously I think we are all in agreements. Marvin Mims is the number one uh, guy as far as the, the receiver room <laughs> between Weiss, Buckley Shelton, Farouk. Who steps up to eliminate the um, double coverage on Marvin Mims um, to kind of take some of that pressure off and free him up? So those are my big three. I'm sure there's more like nitty gritty detail ones, um, but just from kind of a high perspective, those are three big keys to me that, oh, you would have to answer uh, if they're going to be a playoff contender. Yeah, one of these uh, on here, you know, Dylan Gabriel being dynamite in Jeff Levy's system, like I have no concerns over that. He did that as a true freshman with no previous experience in Jeff Levy's offense in 2019. He's going to do it again in 2022, in my opinion. So I'm not concerned there. I'm more curious about the offensive line. You know, there's still always pieces moving around in there. Are they going to be stronger? Like, is, is it one off season with Schmitty enough to really turn that group around? Is the simplified offense and running game going to help enough? I think in my opinion, the biggest thing that's going to help them is the tempo, just having, you know, the, the defensive line that they're going up against caught off guard and they'll be able to open up some run lanes. I think that's the most important thing. And Jeff Levy's offense, you know, anytime you have a high flying, you know, high scoring offense, people think passing, not the case with Jeff Levy and usually not the case with most of the most successful offenses. They're still running the ball a lot. And that's the case with, with Levy. So I'm excited to see what they can do with the run game. I think that's the most critical on the offensive side of the ball. And on the flip side, defensively, same point of attack there. Who on the interior of the defensive line is going to step up and say, I'm maybe not All-American, but at least All-Big 12 caliber. You can't take me off the field. And I'm not sure who that guy is. Yeah, I, I agree with Bill <clears throat> really on all three of them. I mean, Dylan Gabriel uh, being successful, yeah, that's kind of a given. Yeah, Marvin Mims is going to have to be a player. Yeah, that's kind of a given. I, I think that... His the, the number one thing that he had was at least one young stud emerging in the secondary. And, you know, we've seen time and time again, uh, you know, love him or hate him, Alex Grinch, he brought in some pretty good talent in the defensive back position. You know, can I Walker coming in this year? Uh, Woody Washington, it's time to go. Billy Bowman, Key Lawrence, I've heard a lot of good things about you. It's time to take it to the next level. It's time to elevate. There's no more excuses, especially now when you've had Schmitty uh, return as a strength and conditioning coach uh, and having a full offseason with him. I, I think that really there's there's – you touched on the offensive line. That's a big one. And Schmitty coming back, we all know what the Joe Moore Award, uh, uh, you know, offensive line back in the 2016, 2017, 2018 days when Schmitty, those were guys that, uh, you know, came into Oklahoma when Schmitty was still here. He helped develop them, get them off to on the fast track to ultimately, you know, becoming NFL players like so many of them were. Um, offensive line is a big one for me. Anton Harrison, Wanya Morris, you know, we've heard so many things good about so many good things about you. Anton was such a highly touted recruit. All right, let's do it. Uh, Andrew Rame, we heard so many good things last offseason before we even saw him snap one football about how he has an opportunity in Bill Beanbow's eyes to be the next Creed Humphrey. All right, it's time to see that. And, guys, I guess the biggest one for me, you've got to have – when you think about some of the dominant teams that we've seen in college football over the last few years, uh, and there's no better example than the one that we're going to see in Tuscaloosa, Alabama this year, on the defensive side of the football, you've got to have a dominant pass rusher. Will Anderson at Alabama this year. You look at some of the teams that Venables was the defensive coordinator uh, for at Oklahoma, and even as you know, as late as Clemson, he's had tons of talent out on the edge. Um, so Marcus Stripling, Ethan Downs, it's time to go. So I think that if Oklahoma is going to be a player, not just to win the Big Twelve, but have a chance to make the college football playoff, you got to have a dominant offensive line. You've got to establish an edge guy, and I agree with you, Adam. You got to have some uh, uh, some difference makers on the interior of that defensive line. 
He mentions the G5 to Power 5 transfer on the defensive side of the ball. TD Roof, CJ Colden, Jonah Luwalu are the, the three that he points out there. I guess, other than Dylan Gabriel, who's on the offensive side of the ball, and he almost feels different because what he did was at UCF, which was a team that went undefeated in his freshman year. UCF plays at a little bit higher level. Maybe Dylan Gabriel got overlooked in high school playing in Hawaii. Maybe he actually is a four-star type of recruit. But the other guys that come from G5 to Power 5, I don't expect very much from. In fact, of those three guys I mentioned, I don't think anyone's really expecting those guys to start necessarily. They're probably more like depth or rotation type guys. So, like, are you guys looking for one of those dudes to step up? Or I guess I'd feel better if it was like Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, Deshaun White over, you know, some of those transfers. Whoever wants to step up can step up. I don't give a damn if they've come and transfer in or if they've been on the roster. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's it's in we lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball, especially in that front seven last year. So, I think it's uh, if I'm a transfer coming in, like I've got as good of a shot as anybody because everybody right there, especially in that front seven, is pretty unproven at this point. I think that it's going to be beneficial this year having a new head coach, having a new, a new defensive coordinator. Uh, not having any preconceived notions about the talent that's that's and players that are already on campus here. Um, if there's one thing that we know uh, that we were frustrated as OU fans about our time with Alex Grinch, uh, the best player is not always playing a bulk of the snaps, a heavy rotation. I think it's probably pretty safe to say um, the best 11 to 15 guys on the defensive side of the football for OU, they're going to play the majority of the snaps. And uh, there there is a lot of uncertainty with this roster and, you know, in terms of the depth chart on the defensive side of the football, but this coaching staff has a proven track record of being able to get guys to play up to their full potential and get them to almost to kind of play above um, what, you know, where, what we expect them to be able to do coming out of high school. So um, whether it is Kanai Walker, CJ Colden, Trey Morrison, somebody step up, the opportunity is going to be there. I guess I, the way I look at it is if TD roof is starting, that's that's a oh, warning sign. That's a oh. red flag for me. Like, hopefully CJ Colden is like just a, a diamond in the rough that was at Wyoming, and you know maybe he comes in and makes a big impact. But if there's multiple of those guys that are starting, that's red flags. That's hey, the guys that we had were not that good in my opinion. Um, that's where the blue chip blue chip ratio goes out the window. Yes, basically one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Well, guys, let's transition here. Um, <laughs> A fun, t- a fun topic. I think oh, this will be pretty. Hold on, hold on, Tyler. We, we got getting ahead of himself. Get getting ahead of yourself. Before we jump into this next topic, uh, we need to get you in a really good mood, Tyler. And so, um, I'm throwing a little bit of a surprise your way. We're doing a length and girth report. And if you aren't already following us on YouTube, I don't know if this segment will make it on YouTube. But if it does, it's a reason to follow us on YouTube. We've had over 25,000 views on our channel over the last week and a half. Go find us there right now, the Mainline Podcast. Subscribe to us there, as well as on Twitter at the Mainline Pod. I'm going to share my screen here. All right, here we go. So... If you want to follow along at home, I'll put the links to these photos in the show notes as well. First up, we've got Tyler Guyton doing the jump splits uh, here for photo day. This is actually a couple weeks old, but we haven't had time to discuss it. Some pretty uh, pretty immaculate athleticism. Not looking here. at the baseball pants above, just for clarity. Okay, that's, just saying. That's what I was. That's kind of what caught my eye first. No, <laughs> incredible athleticism, the vertical, the height, the flexibility, Adam. 
if we're just going to, you know, dive right into it, you know, talk about the flexibility of the big man, the offensive lineman, um, spe- spectacular, spectacular. What do we got next? I'm fixated on the baseball pants though. <laughs> next up, we've got the pool party that happened just last night. I'm stealing the photo from Stoops Bros, who so kindly labeled all the different guys in the pool, wow. all topless. So Tyler can uh, get a real good view and engage. Tyler, who out of this picture gets you really excited for what they could be doing on the field this season? Brandon Hall. I was going to say, I'm not even fixated on a player. I'm talking about Coach <laughs> Coach Brandon Hall. You know, all of us, you know, we're our college years are past. We're kind of getting up there. Dad bought is, you know, becoming more and more acceptable. Uh, Coach Brandon Hall, I mean, g- giving us uh, us three hope uh, of what we can accomplish hey, as we get smart up move staying under the water. Like that is a dad move pro that he's kind of crouched down when clearly like his upper half should be like outside of the water. It's smart behind the pool float too. Like, yeah, not smart, not Brandon Hall's first pool party. Let's put it that way. Guys clearly looks like he knows what he's doing here. Yeah. Well, this was, uh, this was fun. Definitely Tyler. I have big things expected for the rest of the summer. So um, I'm going to be looking for you to actually come with your own presentation, wow. full slideshow, you know, arrows pointing at specific muscles and things like that. Uh, so big things. Nice play on words there, Adam. Big things. From let's, the uh, girth report. let's transition here. That length and girth report. We'll find a sponsor for that, for, for the podcast. Yeah. We can't get something that applies to that. It's so easily. Uh, but, but back uh, to, to talking college football here, I did kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on this because typical – Every year we get the same shit, and it just kind of feels like uh, ESPN, we're going to continue to do this. So there was an On3 article uh, that came out yesterday. ESPN's FPI predicts Texas will finish 11-1 with only a loss to Alabama. Texas is favored in every Big 12 game. All right, I've got my own kind of rant on this, but I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. Can this be justifiable at all? I, just go for it, Tyler. No, I'll yeah, I'm not gonna. It. I'm not gonna put the flames out right now. Go ahead and go for it. Yeah, I, I hate that I'm doing this because articles like this, we've talked about it all off season. They just turn off my mic. They they get put out there for their. They want the clicks. They want the attention. They want the eyeballs on their site. I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna dive into this. Both of you guys got your mics turned off. Appreciate it. If you want to base this entirely on. The potential and the talent that they have on this roster, like you alluded to, Adam, 68% blue chip ratio. They're stacked with four and five star talent. Then I might be able to get behind this claim, but let's be realistic here. Okay. Other than people wearing burnt orange, there is no sane person in America that truly believes deep down that Texas is going to run the table and go a perfect 10 and 0 after losing to Alabama in week two. It's the same song, different verse. Every offseason where the Texas hype train builds and builds only to go sliding off the tracks once talking season is actually over. So this is a team coming off of a five and seven year. They lost six games in a row last season. I know they've got stars, B. John Robinson, Xavier Worthy. I know they're coming back, but their defense was abysmal a year ago. Uh, they're, they're going to have a, they're and they're also going to have a starting quarterback this year that hasn't thrown a meaningful pass in almost two years. So, oh, and by the way, they're probably going to have to start true two true freshmen on the offensive line this year. Uh, with one of those coming at the left tackle position, with some of the edge guys, Texas is going to be facing this year: Will Anderson, Marcus Stripling, uh, Tyler Lacey, and Brock Martin at Oklahoma State. Good luck, guys. Um, so I'll say all that to say this, and you turn your mic back on, Corbin. I appreciate that. On paper. The University of Texas. I should have known better. You weren't done. They got a ton of talent. 
don't get me wrong, but it's been a shit show in Austin over the last 15 years. You cannot realistically expect this team to go undefeated in conference play and the win the and win the Big 12. There's zero percent chance. I love that you preface that by saying basically this is clickbait and they do it just to hype people up. And you walked yeah. right into that trap. That was that was perfect. If if Texas beats OU, will you have that long of apology to all the Texas fans? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, no, I, you, were the, I will, you were the perfect audience. I will. For this ha- I will have an apology if they run the table and go undefeated in the Big Twelve play, win the conference. Yes. What if they just win the Big Twelve? If they win the Big Twelve championship, will you apologize? Mm, maybe. Yeah. That's worthy yeah, of an apology. That's worthy of an apology. Okay. But let me let's, speak. Let's remember this. I'm now rooting for Texas to win the Big 12 championship. It's not like they went eight and four or nine and three or have a returning, you know, Heisman Trophy finalist on a quarterback. I mean, they went five and seven a year ago. They lost to Texas on their home field. Like, let's pump the brakes a little bit here, you know? Texas lost to Texas on their home field. Or Texas lost to it's Kansas. Tough. Excuse me. Hey. Tough. It's, it's spring game. That is true. Yep. Hey, Tyler, let me speak to our audience here that might be feeling the same way you are because you're beyond hope. So I'm not going to speak to you. If anyone actually read this article, basically what it actually said was the projected record for Texas was basically nine and three. Now, that being said, they said, hey, let's go through the win probability of each individual game, just in a silo, that one specific game. And of course, Texas is going to be favored in pretty much every single game. This exact same way that OU was in that very same article. OU was favored in every single game except for Texas. And what it is, is it's the same thing every year. On paper, Texas has more talent. So yeah, they're going to be slightly favored in pretty much every game they play. And it's the same thing every offseason. On paper, Texas is great. When it comes to the season, you know, not so much. And would it shock me if Texas wins the Big 12? No, they have the talent. Would it, would it shock me if they go five and seven? No, they don't have the culture or, or right. you know, the, the standard there. So it's the same song, different verse. Like who cares what, what paper says it's, it's going to be played out on the field and we can sit there and get angry and give them all the clicks like Tyler does. But, uh, I don't know. Not for me. Current. This is why they write it. I'm trying to find the betting line. I don't think that there is a betting line yet for this game. What game? And, Oh, you Texas right now. I don't think that. Yeah. And, and to be fair, 54% chance is what they gave Texas to, to beat OU. Sounds pretty reasonable. I mean, that's a dogfight every year. To me, it's kind of a 50, 50 battle. We always are looking for that next blowout in, in Dallas and we haven't had it since what Landry Jones was around. That's a long time. So yeah, even yeah. though those have been some of Texas's worst teams since Landry Jones was playing that game, it hasn't mattered. That game has always been close or, or been a loss for OU. I don't know. I've right. I've got nothing more to say on it. I'm just I, I'm so glad that talking season is almost over and we could finally kick the games off. But I mean, it, it, it's only going to get worse too because I, I forget who they play in week one. Some Podunk's Podunk State team down in Texas. But you know that they're gonna they're probably gonna hang fifty on them. There's gonna be so many high expectations. College game day is gonna be in Austin, and then Alabama's gonna boat race them. Mm, I don't know if they will. Fox has that game. Fox has that. Okay. Well, we've I mean we've seen both. Both platforms on site at the same game before OU Texas. True, it's rare. Um, yeah, it's but rare. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm tired of I'm tired of hearing about it. It's the same shit every year, and A and M's starting to get the same treatment too. If you're tired, don't click on the article. Problem yep. solved. <laughs> moving on. How you solve world hunger? Moving on. All right, moving on. Uh, how do I how do I overcome that? 
Mount Rushmore segment. So for those unfamiliar, past few weeks over the last month, we have been doing a Rushmore of different positions. Uh, Rushmore means picking our top four players, but we go in order and we cannot pick what anybody else has picked. So uh, I've been lucky enough to have the first pick in this week's Rushmore at the wide receiver position. Um, curious if this is as obvious as everybody else, but Ryan Broyles, right? Like that has to be the number one overall pick. So I will start there. Uh, three 1,000-yard seasons in an OU uniform. And from there, I will go to Tyler. Yeah, uh, I did not have Broyles in the number two slot or in the number one slot. I did have him at number two, though. So good pickup by you, um, Norman Boy, hometown kid, fantastic career at OU, pretty good real estate agent now, uh, from what I hear. I'm going with CD Lamb, pick number two for me. Just three seasons in Oklahoma. Uh, I think CD currently stands third in school history with just over 3,200 receiving yards, uh, six in school history with 173 receptions, second with 32 touchdown uh, catches, 1,400-yard games, set the modern-day OU record with 19 yards per catch on average. Uh, and by the way, it was a first-round draft pick going number 17 overall to my Dallas Cowboys. So, yeah, CD Lamb. If i got to throw one ball, if there's one route that's got to be ran, CD Lamb gets it for me. CD was my number one as well, uh, simply because three years versus four years of Ryan Broyles. And so, and I will say, if he has somebody else at quarterback his final year, he probably has three 1,000-yard records equaling what Broyles did. Well, and I That think was the only difference to me is he did three years. And I think years. it's all the more impressive what CD did, uh, given the fact that um, his first year, he kind of played second fiddle to Hollywood Brown. Uh, and still had quite the production level that he did. So, But, yeah, you catch passes from Baker, Kyler, and Jalen. Um, hell, he probably has five or 600 more yards uh, if Jalen if Hurts was a uh, viable passer. Yeah, a viable passer, a guy that's starting in the NFL. Oh, so, yeah, not so, crazy. Well, like I said, you go from Baker yeah. to Kyler, I mean, just a little bit of a drop-off yeah. there. That's that's fair. So this puts me in an interesting spot. I, mm-hmm. I don't think the third pick is the best one because there's a bunch of guys that are so similar. And it kind of depends on what your opinion of Mark Clayton is because he played in an era that was so long ago. His stats point. in four years are basically identical to C.D. Lamb's stats in three years in not as heavy passing offenses. Mm-hmm. So that makes it tough. That being said, I'm going to go with two guys that only played two years in Norman. I'm going to go with Marquise Brown, 2,400 yards, 17 touchdowns. Do the math, you know, expand that over four years. That's pretty impressive. And then DD Westbrook, who I think had the best single season as a Sooner receiver. He had a total of 2,200 uh, receiving yards over his career, 21 touchdowns, Heisman finalist. I'm going to burn you on the outside with absolute speed and, uh, <laughs> and lighten up that box for my excellent running backs that we drafted back in uh, week one of this exercise. That's one of my favorite. You got to go Mark Clayton here, right, Tyler? Uh, yeah. I mean, you've got to go Mark Clayton. I, I will touch on Adam's point though. When talking about, um, DD, um, probably my favorite, uh, receiver performance in an OU uniform, um, 2016, I think it was OU Texas. He had three touchdowns, 232 yards, uh, with Baker. Um, so yeah, good pick Adam. I'm going, yeah, Mark Clayton, um, just fantastic player. What he was able to do, the athleticism, you know, kind of, kind of flew under the radar coming into Oklahoma. I, you know, being, you know, only 28 years old, don't remember too much uh, about this guy, but one of the few players, um, once, you know, kind of the fandom of OU football kicked in, Mark Clayton, seeing him make plays, uh, in wearing the number nine jersey. I uh, got to put Clayton number nine, uh, behind CD Lamb for my second pick. I feel the same way now as, uh, as Adam probably felt just a second ago because, I, I view Malcolm Kelly in a similar light as I do Mark Clayton. 
uh, probably would have put up significant numbers in a Lincoln Riley offense, but that wasn't the offense he was in. Um, so I'm going to go. It shocked me when I looked up that uh, Malcolm Kelly had zero 1,000 yard receiving seasons, by the way. Um, give me Sterling Shepard. Yeah. And. Um, Yeah, go ahead and give me Malcolm Kelly there. There you go. You got to have Malcolm Kelly. I mean, just based off the freestyle alone, you got to throw. He's going to hype up my team. No doubt about it. Yeah, I believe both of those guys never had the same quarterback in consecutive seasons. Ooh, interesting. Sterling Shepard had uh, Blake Bell slash Trevor Knight, Mm -hmm. Trevor Knight, Mm -hmm. Baker Mayfield, and then first year Landry Jones. Malcolm Kelly had Rhett Bomar, Paul Thompson, Sam Bradford. So something I forgot not too. Not much consistency. Something I forgot too. Malcolm Kelly was a second round draft pick, just like Sterling mm-hmm. was. So kind of forgot about that. Yeah. Pick number three for me. Um, God, there's a couple different ways I want to go with this. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go out to Cali, one of those Cali sooners. I'm gonna go Kenny Stills uh, for for my pick. One of the um, most entertaining players uh, out on the perimeter that we've seen in quite some time. Just, you know, tremendous big plays after big play. Um, everybody remembers the catch down in Tallahassee in the end zone from Landry Jones to ultimately ice the game for Oklahoma. Uh, fantastic OU Texas performances. We all remember the Bedlam game where he, you know, jumped into the end zone, spiked the ball in between his legs, stoops met him out at the hash, uh, chewed him out all the way back. But, yeah, I'm going Kenny Stills, pick number three for me. Also, no 1,000-yard receiving seasons. Uh, yep. Yeah, his, for being Crazy. in an offense that was very pass-happy at that time, he didn't have very many more yards or touchdowns than Malcolm Kelly did in a more run-based offense. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was a little underwhelmed by that. Okay, this puts me in a really tough I'm spot. I'm curious where you're going to go with these last two. Yep. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't love the options available to me. <laughs> I'm going to go with Marvin Mims. That, I, I had him on there, too. Yep. I, you know, the story's unwritten here, and he probably just has one year left. So maybe he gets to, you know, 1,000 yards. He's at 2,300 yards on his career. Maybe mm-hmm. give him, you know, another nine touchdowns. That's put him, puts him at 23 touchdowns. That's kind of in the realm of Malcolm Kelly, Kenny Stills. So mm-hmm. I feel like that that's very realistic and possible there. Um, then I've got a whole bunch of guys that I just don't know what I think of them. Deron Neal. Um, <laughs> Deron Neal. <laughs> Dewan Miller. Um, Trey Matoire. Todd. Yeah. Uh, Girth report. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it. It's a good thing we didn't have a podcast back then. Um, Man, there's just... I I, I guess this is the last pick, right? Yeah. It is for your last pick. Okay, so you guys have two more. Okay. I'm going to take... And I don't feel great about it. I'm going to take Joaquin Iglesias. I mean, the numbers are there. 2,800 yards, 19 touchdowns. There's nothing memorable about him, really. He was the leading receiver on the 2018 team, kind of surprisingly. But he had that one-handed like, catch against Tech, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that was Manny no, Johnson. That, yeah, that was Manny Johnson. It was yeah. Manny Johnson. Yeah. So, like, yeah, there's many more memorable guys. Ryan Broyles is a freshman that year. Jermaine Gresham was a great pass catcher. You had Demarco Murray was catching passes. He just, I don't, I don't know what the definable moment is for Joaquin Iglesias, but it's good. Though. He had production, and yeah. he did it with multiple different QBs, uh, three, three different QBs in his four years. So. There's something to that. All right, Tyler, what you got? I got, I got two guys here. Um, Same. Both of which I, I'm curious to see if you've got them, Corbin. Do I go national champion or do I go guy that had some very memorable moments for OU in recent history? Um, 
I'm going to go national champion here. I'm going to go all the way back to the, from 1999 to 2002. This guy was remembered for making some big plays during Red October, uh, the year that Oklahoma won the national championship. Uh, had two, just a little over 2,000 yards, 157 receptions, 13 career touchdowns, uh, and had three 100-yard games. So I'm going Antoine Savage to round out my Mount Rushmore t- with the fourth pick uh, for me. So. He'd be in the all-name team for Absolutely. Sure. Great name. Yeah, I had him on my list originally and took him off. Uh, I'm going to wrap up with Jalen Saunders. That's who I had right there. Uh, yep. yep, and yep. kind of a guy. And it, it's tough because he only had one 1,000-yard season, and that was at Fresno State. It wasn't actually in Norman. So um, it he had moments, though. That was I think that's one of the things where um, you look at a, a Glacius. It's almost like the re- reverse. The numbers aren't as strong for mm-hmm. Saunders, but he had more big moments. The punt returns against Oklahoma State, um, the the touchdown catch to, to beat Oklahoma State in yep. Stillwater, Sugar Bowl. Uh, so he Sugar had some Bowl, moments. Sugar yep. yep, Sugar Bowl. Yeah, so he had some moments in there that are memorable, uh, even though the yardage may have not been there. Yeah, and and he had fifteen hundred yards at OU basically over a year and a half because he wasn't eligible until halfway through, I think the Notre Dame game and Norman was the first time he was able to play. So he, he was kind of right there for me. I was like, how do you measure him against Iglesias? Like, I don't know. It's weird. Good point. Okay. Here's here's an interesting question. And you mentioned him earlier, Adam, if we included running backs in this list, what round, just not getting in too deep in the weeds, but what round would you have picked DeMarco Murray? He's in my first two picks probably. He, maybe maybe he, third round. He fourth for me, which is kind of funny because statistically he has. Does he have better numbers? No, he doesn't have better numbers than my other four. Okay, I love the Adams computer died, and this is the, the face we're stuck with. Is this really? Um, is this really what we're what we've got here? <laughs> Boy, you you just you can't draw this up any better. Well. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I bet I bet he'd probably be a third round guy for me. Um, especially the way like yeah, this is awesome. Um but yeah, so I think uh I think yeah, DeMarco would probably be third, fourth round for me. But he'd he'd be a pick for me one hundred percent. Absolutely. I think that he has to. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Well, Adam's right. Adam's computer died. Close this out, Corbin. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you're listening to the uh, pod, watching us on YouTube, uh, appreciate uh, the listens. Send us a five-star rating. Shoot us some comments. We had a guy to tell us on YouTube that he ate at Adam. Uh, so we love that Fair. stuff. It's valid. Uh, so it's valid. It's valid. Get yep, behind it. Valid. So, Bring your charger, um, Adam. That's right. Everybody have a great week. We will be back next week on the Mainline Podcast.